red light, so it's recorded. We're good. Okay, it's legit. It happened. All right. Well, I am blessed to be here, and uh, so very much appreciate all you saints and got to be on the streets with some of you ministering the Word of God to precious Oklahoma City sinners, and uh, I am just so blessed that you're out uh, regularly ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ in a city that so desperately needs it, as every city does. And so I praise God for this ministry. Uh, many years ago now, uh, evangelist Jeff Rose was called to be a staff evangelist at a church in Dallas, Texas area. And in God's providence, that church soon closed. And then uh, the precious sheep there asked Jeff if he might stay and be their shepherd. Uh, the Lord led Pastor Jeff now to take that calling, and he named his church the 116 Bible Church. Uh, our church has long supported Jeff uh, as an evangelist, and when this providence took place, I called Jeff and said, it isn't a 116 Bible Church, it's a 116 Bible Church Fellowship, brother. And so let's do this right and plant these churches in the earth, and praise God, the Lord raised up Pastor Brady to be a church-planting pastor, an evangelist uh, turned pastor, which, by the way, is, I think, a very natural path. And uh, I rejoice to see the hand of God on, on his life and ministry and uh, was blessed from afar to uh, help walk with him uh, and with Pastor Ronnie's help as well and some others to get through a difficult time that is not unusual in a church plant, just so you know. Uh, there is a honeymoon period, and then typically there is something like what you experienced. And so praise God, the church has been sanctified, the church has grown, uh, the church is stronger than ever, and pressing on for the glory of Christ and the redemption of sinners, and that is magnificent. And so uh, we today, of course, have a church in Taiwan with Pastor Blaine, a church in Birmingham with Pastor Peter, a church in Delaware with Pastor Dave and and uh, Pastor Jeff in Texas, and myself out in Portland, and I get to be here today, and Lord willing, I'll be back uh, in a year or so to visit again, and I'd love to get Pastor Brady up to borrow him, and uh, bring him up our way, and, and uh, go out and preach Christ in the streets of Portland, and you can throw in a few uh, fixins and uh, uh, other other uh, vernacular from the South, uh, they'll appreciate that. <laughs> Pastor Brady was teaching me uh, some vocabulary yesterday in the car. It was <laughs> All right, well let's pray, open the Word of God together. Father, we thank you that we can be here today in the Lord's house, the Lord's people washed under the blood of the Lamb. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our God, our King, our very best friend, our Master we ask, Father, that he would be honored today, that he'd be lifted up, that our hearts would be drawn to him afresh, that we would love him more and, and know him better and be better equipped to make him known, Father, with, with clarity and passion and dogmatism uh, born all out of love, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the first fruit of the Spirit, love toward you, our God, and, Father, toward our neighbors, that great second commandment. And, Lord, we ask... Uh, that you would illumine your word in the pulpit and illumine it in the pew. And Father, we'd be washed with the water of the word and made complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I thank you for these precious brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, and, and may uh, your word have its way in their hearts and minds today, Father, for their blessing and the blessing of all that know them. And Father, I just pray as they go from here, they 
go rejoicing in the Christ to be on their lips, Lord, as He rules in their hearts. And Father, I just ask You bless this time. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name, Amen. Open your Bibles, please, to Romans. Romans chapter 1. This is the foundation of our fellowship. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Today we'll, God willing, be expositing verse 16 and 17. But I do have a flight to catch, and so we'll see how far uh, we get. There are only so many hours before uh, loading begins. But Romans 1, verse 16, let's read together there. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And all of God's saints said, Amen. 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 Dear friends, America has rejected God. America rejected God's word as a mythological work of men. America rejected God's law as an archaic, restrictive burden. America rejected God's gospel as irrelevant foolishness. And then joined the atheist disciples of Richard Dawkins or the apostate disciples of N.T. Wright, who both call the gospel, quote, cosmic child abuse. We became gods unto ourselves, deciding for ourselves what is good and evil until nothing was evil at all, except God, His law, and His gospel. We silently tolerated and then we loudly celebrated fornication, adultery, abortions, unconscionable murder of 1.6 billion babies, homosexuality, transgenderism, drag queen story time, and then drag queen kids dancing provocatively to the applause of sexual deviance with mom and dad proudly looking on and clapping. How did America get here, friends? How did we get here? The Word of God is clear that judgment begins with the house of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. America's Christians Refuse to love God and love perishing sinners by going, therefore, to preach God's law and God's gospel in the city center, in the open air, everywhere perishing sinners are found, calling every man, woman, and child to repent and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. America's Christians turned an apathetic, hateful, blind eye to the cruel slaughter of 125,000 babies every day, and just kept their, getting their best life now while safely and comfortably sipping their designer coffees. America's Christians opened their churches to the rebellion, the perversion, and the baby genocide. And you're surrounded by churches that have done that, even here in Oklahoma. I certainly am surrounded by churches that have done that in Portland, Oregon. One of the largest churches in all of Portland is just down the street from ours. And the pastor baptizes homosexual men and women who are in so-called marriages to other men and women as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. America's Christians have joined the rebellion. They've given up the fight. They call the unregenerate, unrepentant participants in their liberal, then emergent, then woke Christian churches their brothers and sisters. America's 
Christians filled Christ's church with unholy rebels who hate God, hate his law, hate his gospel, and delight in everything that God hates. Dear Christian, judgment begins with the house of the Lord. America's churches, with a few glorious exceptions, despise the public revelation of God's law and gospel. You're doing it wrong is the universal Christian protest against the public proclamation of the gospel. I go to one of the finest, most conservative pastoral Bible conferences on the planet every year, the Shepherds Conference. And every year I invite all the pastors there, as many as I can anyhow, via social media and face-to-face, to join me on the street. And the vast majority of them run in the other direction. Not run to fight the good fight. Not run to stand up on the rooftop and proclaim the glory of Christ, but they run in the other direction. Some outright rebuke it. I have been rebuked for sharing the gospel with the in-and-out burger-flipping worker who was on the campus of GCC serving us burgers. In the midst of his break, I graciously sat down with him and just talked with him. Do you know what you're at today? (laughs) Do you know what this is all about? And opened up the gospel of Jesus Christ to him with a smile. All along, a pastor standing along the side waiting to rebuke me. You can't do that. That's offensive. And that is the rule, sadly, saying it's not the exception. We are ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are on the retreat, not in the advance. One year, While returning from the Shepherd's Conference, we were about two hours away, driving north on I-5, and we stopped for gas. We got out, everybody unloaded, we went inside the gas station, came back out, and found that the pastor had locked the keys in the Suburban. I was that pastor. (laughs) So what does a godly pastor do under those circumstances? He says, this is providence. The Lord has ordained that we would minister the gospel here at this gas station. And we began to minister the gospel there at the gas station, just talking to the folks. There's a large gas station in Southern California, talking to folks about the Lord Jesus, about sin, righteousness, and judgment, their need to repent, confess His Lord for salvation. There were conversations going on everywhere. It was sweet. It was wonderful. It wasn't disruptive. Nobody was upset. It was, it was beautiful. And this car pulls up, and it's got four guys in it, and they look to be pastors, but I don't know that, and so I engage them, and and, uh, and they say, you know what? You can't do that. This doesn't work. This isn't how it's done. And I said, really? Well, I happen to have my Bible here. <laughs> and I began to contend for the work of the gospel from the scriptures. And they were experts, just like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, at twisting the scriptures to justify their false teaching. Now, of course, these men all held, technically, to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, while holding to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, they were enemies of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unless you're willing to chain it to the pulpit and to jail it in the four walls of the local church. There and there alone, may you preach the glorious, soul-saving, God-glorifying, gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere else, you're doing it wrong. That's a crime. 
America's churches despise what the Lord Jesus and His apostles did. We train our pastors and missionaries not to do what Jesus and the apostles did. All the WWJD, what would Jesus do, bracelets, necklaces, t-shirts, hats, they need to be burned. Do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus commanded you to do. Quit asking, what would Jesus do? I'm not sure. It's a mystery. I think He'd do this. I think He'd do that. What did He do? What did He command us to do? What did His disciples do? In obedience to that command. What did His disciples tell us to do? (laughs) To go therefore and to make disciples. To turn the world upside down. To fill our Jerusalem with the doctrine of Christ. To preach repentance to all the world. Starting in Jerusalem. The mission is clear. The command is clear. But we revel in the obscure because we don't want to obey. Because obedience requires dying to self. Obedience results in a war. And the church is called peace where there is no peace. They have ended the war while the devil and his minions are yet raging. The world that serves the devil, and no one is neutral. You either serve Christ or the devil. The world that serves the devil is warring every day for the souls of men, women, and children. The devil. The devil means to make their life hellish now and eternal hell later. And he has his soldiers fighting on the field of battle every single day. And they fight with devilish, demonic wisdom. They put lots of money into their fight. They put lots of time into their fight. They put lots of thought into their fight. How to capture the hearts and minds of men, women, and children and destroy them now and forever. And for the most part, the visible Christian church is busy drinking coffee at Starbucks. Is busy having donuts. Or perhaps learning some Bible trivia for the great Bible trivia test in the sky one day. But not learning the Word of God so they might know God and make Him known. There are very few pastors in the face of the earth saying, follow me as I follow Christ, and then going therefore to obey the Lord Jesus. Making much of Jesus Christ in a world that is perishing without Him. And thus we see the demise of America and we wring our hands and we fret and we watch the evening news and we worry and maybe we pray, oh Lord, save us. Oh Lord, turn America back. And the Lord says, go therefore. But the vast majority of those praying cannot hear because they've so hardened their hearts. They have willfully deafened themselves to the command of God. The most fundamental, basic command of God to go, therefore, and make disciples unashamedly. We train our pastors and missionaries to be safe and respectable preachers behind pulpits. Not to be despised and rejected preachers like Jesus, Peter, and Paul in the open air. 
We train our pastors and missionaries not to obey the Great Commission by going to the world where they call to repent and confess Christ as Lord. We train our pastors and missionaries not to do what both the divine author and original recipients of the Great Commission did. We train our pastors and missionaries not to fill their cities with the gospel and turn the world upside down by going boldly into the city square to preach Christ to perishing sinners. We train our pastors and missionaries not to emulate the dusty, courageous, dangerous, beaten, bloody, and often jailed preachers in the book of Acts. That's our manual, saints. That's our manual. We should read Acts and identify. Those are my brothers. Those are my sisters. That's Christ's church and we're part of it. We're just doing our lap. We're just doing what they did in our day. Instead, we train our pastors and missionaries to preach the book of Acts as a dusty history in the confines, comfort, and safety of a church building. We spice up our sermons with quotes from gospel heroes like George Whitfield, but we won't emulate them. Instead, we train our pastors, missionaries, and congregants to invite the unregenerate, unrepentant, God-hating world to the church. That's not Christ's great commission. It's Satan's great compromise. It's a satanic conspiracy to shut down the ministry of the gospel that Christ modeled and commanded. We have withheld the means of God's mercy and grace from our cities, states, and nations. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But we demand, if they want to hear the word of God, they better get lucky on that radio dial. They better get lucky on their Google search and happen to push the wrong button. We're not going to go find them. We're not going to go interrupt their day. We're not going to go to the Athenian square where they've gathered. We're not going to go to the synagogue where they've gathered. We're not going to go to the riverfront where that dire purple was found. Lydia. No. We keep it chained to the pulpit, safely and respectably. Chained to the pulpit. Jailed in the four walls of the local church. We have invited God's judgment on ourselves, our neighbors, and on our children. As we watch our neighbors celebrate gross sexual perversion, slaughter 125,000 of their children a day, assault and murder each other in the streets, and vandalize, loot, and burn our cities down, think Portland, we cannot forget that judgment begins with the house of God. What does the Lord Jesus say to America's criminally apathetic pastors, missionaries, churches, and individual Christians? What does the Lord Jesus say to Christians who are getting their best life now? Who are busy pursuing things that are quickly passing away while sinners die in their sins and go to hell? While babies die in their mother's wombs and their mothers and fathers pay doctors to carry out this gruesome murder? And while America literally and figuratively burns... What does Jesus say? He says this, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Brothers and sisters, judgment begins with the house of the Lord. The title of today's message is Not Ashamed. Not Ashamed. In our text we have already read from Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The Apostle Paul could say this honestly. He could say it truly. He could say it with a clear mind and with a clear Heart. And by the grace of God, you and I can as well. By the grace of God alone will any man or woman say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. But I fear there are a great many who would claim to be not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, who are utterly and completely ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For they have never, nor do they ever intend, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have never stepped out even with a tract, even to leave the tract behind anonymously. As a secret agent minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, much less engaged a perfect stranger at the grocery store who has smiled at you, been kind to you, who is being paid to be kind to you. They're not going to kill you if you bring up the name of Jesus and say, here, this will bless you and give them a gospel tract. They're not going to kill you if you say this, which I have often done. You know, let me just share one verse. You've been so kind, you've blessed me. Let me share one verse with you. John 3.16, John 3.18, John 3.36, Romans 5.8-9. Just one verse. Think on that. God bless you. Have a great day. But saints, that's, that's just happenstance evangelism. That's just as you go, right? You're going about your daily... Routine, doing your daily things. Yeah, you can leave gospel tracts. Yes, you can put gospel tracts in hands with a smile and say, God bless you. And yes, you can engage people with a, a brief gospel message and be on your way. But that's not actually what the Lord Jesus designed, trained, or commanded His church to do. He designed His church. He designed His elders, His pastors, His apostles before us. And trained them to get studied up and get prayed up and to stand up and to go therefore and engage perishing sinners wherever they're found. To preach the law of God that it might be a tutor to bring men to Christ to be justified by faith. To preach the law of God as the perfect word of God that it is able to convert souls. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. To preach the good news of God's love come down in the person of Jesus Christ and salvation available by His magnificent sacrificial death. Taking the fullness of eternal wrath the Almighty upon Himself. Taking hell, literally eternal hell upon Himself on behalf of all those who repent and confess Him as Lord. You can be saved. Your sins can be forgiven as far as the east is from the west. You can have the certain hope of heaven We've got the good news. We call it the gospel. But it's so good that most Christians never ever share it once. 
Most pastors only share it every so often. Happenstance, you know, this providence kind of forces them into a corner. Some don't share it at all. There's a pastor in the city just north of mine, Vancouver, who's on the radio. I met him at the Shepherds Conference some years back. He was a friend for a time. He's actually anti-evangelism. He is anti-Great Commission, openly so. He teaches that it's, it's wrong to go out and evangelize. That the Lord now only uses the local church. And God's elect will show up. <laughs> if ever there was hyper-Calvinism, that's it. If you're, Cal- if you're so Calvinist that you, your Calvinism contradicts the Great Commission, repent. Your Calvinism should actually drive you to obey the Great Commission. Because some from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be saved. Some precious men, women, boys, and girls bound up in every kind of iniquity will be rescued from that slavery and made trophies of grace and slaves to Christ and His righteousness. They will be saved. They will be. That omnipotent seed of the gospel will find that soil of the heart that God has prepared. And so you can go with confidence every single time. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That is our first point. It is the tip of the spear. The gospel is the tip of the spear. So many churches, so many pastors, so many ministries, they've got the spear turned around. In fact, I think they've set it on the ground and they've stomped on it and broken the tip of the spear off. And and all they're left with is a stick. A a stick of history, a stick of rules, a stick of regulations, a stick of ordinances and whatnot. But they've lost the tip of the spear. And no one would know that they're soldiers anyway. No one would think them dangerous. As they talk about their stick and their favorite aspects, their favorite portion of the stick, their favorite spot on that stick. And hear me, all the stick is glorious. It's all from God's Word. But if you lose the tip of the spear, it's nonsense. It's meaningless. That's what it's all about. How central is the Gospel? Let's think. Why is there a cosmos for the Gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached in it? Why is there a solar system with a star that we call the sun and a planet we call the earth revolving around it? So the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached in it and the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached on it. Why are there trees on said planet so that the Lord Jesus who created it all could come into it through the womb of the Virgin Mary and be crucified on a tree to save sinners? And we're mute? We're silent? This is the the greatest crime there is that we who claim to believe these things would not proclaim them. The gospel is the tip of the spear. The gospel is the main thing. The gospel is the hill to fight on. The gospel is the hill to suffer on. The gospel is the hill to die on. But all too often we're we're fighting and dying for things that are way down that stick. Things that are important, oh yes. But not the thing that Jesus suffered and died for. 
Jesus did not suffer and die to make Calvinists. I'm a Calvinist, by the way. Five-point card carrying. Why am I a Calvinist? (laughs) Because Calvin happened to be right, at least on those precious five points. Anyway, I I don't agree with him on those sacraments. No, I do not. He had some more reformation than to go. But we must keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is not the Baptist Confession of 1689, and do you ascribe every jot and tittle thereof? The main thing is not the Westminster Confession, and do you subscribe every jot and tittle thereof? Uh, the main thing is, is not the, the form and, and ceremony of the morning service. The main thing is not how you dress in the pulpit. I wear suits. Pastor Brady's a sinner, so I, I succumbed. And uh, just <laughs> We must keep the main thing, the main thing in all seasons. And the main thing is always the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything in the Bible pointed to it up until the New Testament. And then everything in the Bible points back to it from Revelation on back. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, this word gospel, euangelion, good message, good news. What is this gospel? What is this good news? I've already declared it a couple times, I think, but let's just clarify it again. The good news is the second person of the Trinity, fully God, became fully man. He was born of a virgin without sin to become sin for us, to bear our iniquities. He was crucified, he was buried, and he gloriously resurrected on the third day, conquering sin and Satan and death. And he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father as the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would anyone be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, we should be ashamed of the man or woman in the mirror. And yet because we love the man or woman in the mirror, we're ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's good. Oh, that we would, by the grace of God, die to self. Die to self and take up the cross. And love Jesus. It is our self-love that makes us mute. It is our self-love that says, well, I'm going to look stupid. It's our self-love that says, well, they're going to hate me. They're not going to like me. Or maybe I'll actually suffer. Maybe my career won't go quite as high. Maybe my education will go sideways. Maybe the neighbors will never talk to me again. Maybe it'll blow up the whole family Christmas. The family Christmas. It's all about Jesus. If I actually talk about Jesus... Maybe if I say, you know, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, uncle, cousin, please don't take the name of the Lord in vain at Christmas. Because he, Jesus, that name you keep using, that's the one name under heaven given on men by which you must be saved. And hear me, my blasphemous cousin, you can be saved. But you really should repent because the one whose name you keep abusing, you're going to stand before him and give an account. We're ashamed of the gospel for one reason and one reason only. We love ourselves. We don't love God and our neighbor. And you think, wow, that's harsh. No, I do love God and my neighbor. Really? You know, I love ice cream, so I talk about it. People that know me, they'll know. I, I love uh, ribs, apparently. And so Pastor Brady noted that when I eat ribs, you know, it, it's not a silent event. Mmm, mmm. 
Mm, I'm letting folks know I love, I don't even know, I'm unconscious to my love, but I love my wife, so I don't even consciously put my arm around her, I don't even consciously kiss her on the cheek all, I mean, it just kind of happens, and, and uh, why, because I love her, you know, and I tell her I love her, I don't think, I should tell her I love her, <laughs> note to self, tell wife I love her, <laughs> I, I've been gone for about a week, I've sent her lots of hearts and different things, I love you, miss you, um, and I didn't have to leave a note anywhere to remind myself of that, right, because I love her. It's in me. If the Spirit of God is in you, and you're full of the Spirit, as our charismatic friends like to claim to be, right? The chief evidence of being full of the Spirit in the Scriptures is that you're bold in the Gospel. Because if you love God and you love your neighbor, you're going to tell somebody the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So do you want to know if you're full of the Spirit or full of self? What are you doing with the Gospel? We are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ when we're full of the Holy Spirit. The first fruit of the Spirit love. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ when we have died to self. Self's got to die. And hear me, I've had to die thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times. I never stay dead. Chuck always gets up out of the grave. Kill him all you want. He gets up again. I've got to kill him again. I've got to die to self again. Now, I can say by the grace of God, there is sanctification over time. And the more I die, the deader I stay. I mean, he still gets up. He's looking more and more like a zombie. But he gets up again. <laughs> got to kill him again. But I got to pray up, study up, and get up and go tell somebody about Jesus. And you know what? I, I die to self. I lose consciousness of Chuck. I no longer care about what they think of me. I only care what they think about Jesus. I only care if they hear the word of God. I don't care if they hate me or love me. I care if they hear the word of God because that word is omnipotent. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The scriptures are able to make them wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. I don't worry about offending them. If anything, I worry that I didn't offend them. What do I mean? Well, when I preach the gospel to two, three, four hundred people gathered in downtown Portland for a parade and they clap and cheer, I think, did I leave out something? Did I, did I skip on by? hell and judgment and law and did I cut right to God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? What, what happened there? Why did everybody clap? I mean, it's an amazing thing that they would clap. I guess they were so bored. I don't know. But they clapped for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I truly have to question because I'm in downtown Portland. But even in Oklahoma in the Bible Belt, you should wonder if they're clapping, right? You must have hit a church section. Because it's clear, except by the grace of God, the aroma of Christ is death to them. It's death. Only in the grace of God is the aroma of Christ's life. And here you're to be the aroma of Christ. And you're to be a strong aroma. Strong enough that they're like, whoa, that stinks. Are they praise God? That's the essence of Jesus Christ. My Lord and my King. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Dwelling in us. The fruit of the Spirit manifesting so that we truly love God and love neighbor and die to self. Now hear me. Tragically, the human condition is one of self-love. That is our default position, our default sin. Thus, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, 
The Apostle Paul has to write this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Why does the Apostle Paul have to write to them to exhort them to not be ashamed? Because it is human nature to be ashamed. And the Apostle Paul was criminalized. The gospel was criminalized. And we don't like to associate with criminals. And look, he must be doing it wrong. The doing it wrongers, as I lovingly call them, they were present and accounted for back in the early church. And they've always been with us. How did the Apostle Paul's life end? Everybody's cheering, everybody's gathered around him. The Apostle Paul's about to go to glory. I mean, heaven's gates are going to be wide. Heaven's about to rejoice. We're losing a champion, but he's shown us the way. Praise God. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Lord, for a gift like this, this champion of the gospel, the Apostle Paul. No, 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 no. My life's about to be poured out, but I'm alone. I'm cold. I don't have scriptures. Could somebody please bring me a coat? Everyone else has abandoned me. Can somebody please bring me some scriptures? Everyone has forsaken me. And so there's nothing new in the face of the earth. Tragically, criminally, the church from the first century to today so quickly wants to find peace where there can be no peace. Wants to find their best life where they're not supposed to be finding it. Our best life is yet to come. There's a new heavens, a new earth in which only righteousness dwells, where at the entrance thereof the Lord wipes away every tear and you'll never know another one. Unless somehow it's tears of joy. That's what we're aiming for. And that's forever and ever and ever. During World War II, there was such a clear and present danger, such an absolute dark reality of evil with Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany that virtually every man wanted to, volunteered to, Go fight that evil. There were young men who lied at 15 years of age to go fight that evil. Oh yeah, 18. Sign me up. I'm going. There were men who had disabilities who lied because they would not miss that fight. There were men who committed suicide because they were so devastated when the government told them they could not go fight that fight. They were ashamed. And they felt so unmanly. In the visible church today, unmanliness is the rule. Because men fight the fight. Men engage in the battle God has called us to. I said the other night, in a little post I put out, that my brother Rocky is one of the mightiest preaches the gospel that I know. And it's true. Praise God. You don't have to be strong in the flesh. Your flesh may indeed even be failing you, and yet you can be a mighty and valiant warrior for the Lord Jesus. And how tragic men with 
strength and vitality in their flesh, strength in their lungs, a strong voice, a big old bushy beard, big old truck to match, and some real manly boots. Can't man up and step up for Jesus. Will only ever utter the name of Jesus in the halls of the local church. Will ever only preach Jesus from behind a pulpit in the local church. And yet feel themselves to be men. Men aren't cowards. Self-love makes us cowards. The first sinner in the list of those that will abide with the wrath of God in hell happens to be the coward. That's a fearful place to be comfortable. And I'm not saying it's salvation by gospel proclamation. No, it's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But I am saying I don't want to be a coward, and I don't want any of those who profess Christ to be cowards. I don't want anyone to be comfortable being a coward, because cowardice is born out of self-love. Whether it's we're too cowardly to stand up against a real and present earthly evil, or whether we're too cowardly to stand up against this eternal evil, Satan and his doctrine of demons that's damning souls and the present and real threat of eternal wrath under the just judgment of God. Will we not stand up out of love of neighbor, out of love of God, and throw off cowardice, throw off fear motivated by self-love and love our neighbors with action and truth. And join the Apostle Paul as he invited the early church to join him. He says, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Share with me. And let's all share. Right? We like to share donuts in church. We like to share good meats and good casseroles. That's good. That's all fine. Right? But we're to be sharing in the sufferings of the Apostle Paul. He was beaten and left for dead. He was despised and rejected. Oh, like his Lord, like our Lord. We're to share in the sufferings of Christ that the Apostle Paul was sharing in as he invited us to share with him in the sufferings of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For this reason I suffer these things. He was suffering. He was jailed again. (laughs) But he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed. 2 Timothy 1.16 The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Not ashamed of my chain. Again, why do you think he's mentioning that? Because many are. Many are. One day your pastor will likely get arrested. That will not be to his shame. I've been threatened with prison and tens of thousands of dollars of fines and it's only the grace of God that rescued me from that. As Brad Avakian, the Oregon State Labor Commissioner, set his sights on me and meant to come and take me down for daring to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ on the streets outside of Portland's abortion clinics. And one day, I'm confident, unless there is revival, the tyranny of God-haters will come and they will arrest me. And some will be ashamed of me. Utterly. 
just like they were ashamed of Paul. Why do you think he was all alone? Why do you think he had that bag for his coat and the scriptures? Why do you think he said, they've all forsaken me? Because they were ashamed of him. He made a ruckus. He was doing it wrong. He made a ruckus in Jesus' name. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a more peaceful way than to turn the world upside down, as Acts says. Now that's the way. How do you think it is? We're on the other side of the world from Jerusalem where this all began. Believing upon Jesus Christ. It's not because of the people who are ashamed. It's not because of the people who are mute. It's not because of those who played the coward. It's because of those who are faithful. It's because of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. It's because of George Whitfield, who came across from Britain and traversed this nation again and again, preaching this glorious gospel. And again, I remind you that a great many pastors today like to quote George Whitfield, like to talk about George Whitfield, but they will not emulate him. They should shut their mouths that condemn them with their George Whitfield quotes until they will emulate him as he emulated Christ. Going, therefore, wherever the people were found. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4.16 Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. If anyone suffers as a Christian. There are very few suffering as Christians these days. Dr. Steve Lawson said the problem with preachers today is no one wants to kill them anymore. Tragically, as much as I love Dr. Lawson, the reality is that no one wants to kill preachers anymore because preachers have refused to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And preachers have made the Great Commission the great option. Recently, Dr. Lawson was asked about street preaching on the street as he happened to run into Pastor Jeff Rose. And he said that it wasn't his calling. Several years ago at the Shepherds Conference, Dr. Lawson preached an amazing message, a biography message about George Whitfield. It was so stirring that many of the men there afterwards said, Dr. Lawson, let's go. We got the Bible, we got the gospel. Let's go do what George did. And Dr. Lawson said, that's not my calling. But I'll pray for you and God bless you. Now hear me, I love Dr. Lawson. I'm not trying to defame him. But that is serious error. It is not a matter of calling. It is a matter of command. It's a matter of obedience. And to say it's not my calling or not my gifting virtually synonymous. That's not my gifting. Excuse me. Are you not one of the finest preachers of the Word of God on the planet? Yes. It is your gifting. It is your calling. And it's Christ Jesus' command. And that's not pride speaking. Hear me. I, I know who I am and who Dr. Lawson is. I'm, I'm a little pastor from a little church in a dark place. But I know what the Word of God says. And it's clear. It is expressly clear. And so I can stand and dogmatically and lovingly say that is error. And that's the error that has brought the Western world to the brink of destruction. 
And what made the Western world the Western world is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the biblical worldview, which is that the staff behind the tip of the spear, the gospel, that's the Western world. But in these decades, even centuries, that we have chained the gospel to the pulpit and jailed it in the four walls, the devil's army is unchained. The devil's army is marching to war with their naturalism and their materialism and their big bang cosmology and their Darwinian evolution and the good news of homosexuality and the good news of transgenderism and the good news of Satanism. Every time I go out in Portland, they're out there preaching that good news right back at me. All that. They preach it in every university. They preach it in every college. They preach it in every grade school now. At least in the Portland area. You visit the schools, it is LGBT, homosexual, perversion, paraphernalia everywhere. And all through the school year, they have planned out, like every month, one celebration or one recognition of perversion after another. All to twist these children's minds up and compel them to mutilate their bodies. Oh dear saints, the season where we could get away with being ashamed of the gospel has come and gone. We have been living on borrowed time. We've been living on George Whitfield's faith. We've been living on the Apostle Paul's faith, the work they did, the suffering they suffered, the blood they shed to advance the gospel of Christ in the earth and to bring about this, this glorious society built on that foundation where peace and prosperity has, has been what we have known now. For so many generations. But we are on the precipice. It will blow off in the wind. To not be seen again for generations. Until there is revival. Until again the church wakes up. And rediscovers. Like Israel of old. King Josiah. Finding this book buried in the wall. Somebody's got to find the Great Commission buried in the wall of the local church someplace and say, you know what this says? It says, go therefore. What are we doing? Oh, but they might not like us. It doesn't say if they like you. It says, go. In fact, it says, go whether they kill you or not. Well, we haven't gotten but a few inches down the first page what time did I start you got till 340 when you got away <laughs> that is so dangerous <laughs> so flag, right? probably started about 2 really oh. we're just getting started <laughs> Paul Washer has rightly said, I want to submit to you tonight that this country is not gospel hardened and is gospel ignorant because most of its preachers are. And let me repeat this, the malady in this country is not liberal politicians, the root of socialism, Hollywood, or anything else. It's a so-called evangelical pastor, preacher, and evangelist of our day. That is where the malady is to be found. We have taken the glorious gospel of our blessed God and reduced it down to four spiritual laws and five things, five things God wants you to know. With little superstitious prayer added at the end. 
And if someone repeats it after us with enough sincerity, we popishly declare them to be born again. We've traded regeneration for decisionism. I would not send my child to a vacation Bible school in 99.9% of the Baptist churches in America. Have some teacher that doesn't even understand anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ ask those little children, how many of you want to go to heaven? And damn most of them. Harden their heart to the gospel with some silly profession of faith because it was a silly proclamation of the gospel. It brought no genuine repentance. It brought no faith. It's no different than the Roman church that baptizes every infant that is born. So he there is addressing the lack of gospel clarity, the lack of true gospel message that's out there in so many churches. But even when we get the gospel right, Oh, I've lost part of my notes. Even when we get the gospel right, again, we are chaining it up. We're refusing to deliver it to the people that are perishing without it. So the message that so much of the church needs, and the quote that so much of the church needs today, even the faithful, biblical, gospel preaching, truly evangelical, truly biblically reformed church is this. And this message was delivered by Paul Washer in 2017 at the Shepherds Conference. And as he was preaching this, I sat there praising God as thousands of pastors heard these words. Quote, I want you to know something. That they spread this name the name of Jesus throughout all of Jerusalem. Brothers, now listen. Now this part I disagree with, but hear me. Not everyone has the same calling, and I know that. But sometimes we take all these passages that have to do with the power of preaching, the importance of preaching, the power of preaching, and it seems as though they only apply to the pulpit ministry. These men were not just standing behind a pulpit expounding Scripture. They were in the streets expounding Scripture. Now that doesn't mean that everyone has to be a street preacher. And again, there I differ. I do believe that every elder is called to do the work of the evangelist. Why do I believe that? Because the Word of God says it. That's why. I do believe that. Does that mean that every elder will be out on the street every day? No, it does not. Does that mean that some elders... Uh, will be out more in this season of their youth and strength. And elder elders, you know, might not be out as much. Yeah. Do I believe? Someone press once. Do you believe John MacArthur? Come on, that's ridiculous. Should be out in the streets. Yes, I do. Imagine if Pastor MacArthur would come down and step up on the street and preach the magnificent, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with the power that God has bestowed upon him and the clarity. And then imagine what that would do, not just to the immediate hearers, That would be in the news. That message would be on the news. And every young pastor and old pastor alike would see that example and say, you know what, I've got to unchain this gospel from the pulpit. And say, you mean, Pastor Chuck, you're saying something like, like John MacArthur. Yes, absolutely. And hear me. John MacArthur is wonderful magnificent as his ministry has been by the grace of God. His ministry is nothing compared to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. God had one son 
and he made him a street preacher. He made him an open air preacher. Never once did the Lord, did the Lord Jesus step up in a suit and tie on a pulpit. Not once. Virtually every message he preached was in the open air to the masses. As magnificent as our modern preaching heroes are that, that preach at all of our conferences and their faithfulness to preach the word in season, out of season in the pulpit, not one of them compares to the Apostle Paul who preached the word of God publicly and house to house and exhorted the elders of Ephesus and all elders for all time to do the same. And so nobody gets a pass. Why? Because God's word is clear. And because Jesus' example and command trumps every other example and any would-be commands they might muster. But let me finish the quote. Now that doesn't mean that everyone has to be a street preacher. But brothers, we are not children of the Reformation if we believe, build it, and they will come. Jesus said, go out to the highways and the hedges. And if you're a young man here and you love the reformers and everything, you may have the wrong picture of them, that they were these men who sat in robes in these beautiful old stone chapels and they just wrote. No! They were men who got out of those stone buildings and they preached the gospel everywhere. And because of it, they suffered. They suffered. Those of us who preach the gospel in the pulpit, we need to get out more. We need to get out more. We need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the masses. Why is it that so many people who do not have very good theology are constantly in the streets and those who have really good theology are constantly in the library and the pulpit? Let us do both. Let us learn to reach out. And he paused here. And he looked out with the Paul Washer death stare. And people dropped by the hundreds. No, they didn't. But he paused here. And it had gotten deathly silent. And in a church with thousands of men, here it's not silent. There are coughs, there are sneezes, there are people typing their notes in the back, which makes me crazy. Use a pen, please. <laughs> there are people even talking in the back. You know, hey, there's a preacher up front. But no, it was dead silent. Dead silent. And he's looking out there. He leans forward. And he says, you're all getting very quiet. Is there a reason? We need to preach. Preach in a pulpit and preach everywhere. You young men, while you're young and have your strength about you, go out there and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. They filled the streets with the gospel. Unquote. Not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 I don't have time for that. <laughs> don't have time for that. Alright, listen saints, I don't care if you're pre-mill, all-mill, or post-mill. Until Christ returns, the Great Commission command equally applies to us all. Read the Gospels. See how Jesus trained His men to turn the world upside down by preaching God's law and God's Gospel everywhere perishing sinners were found. Synagogues, city centers, Athenian squares, riverfronts, jailhouses, courthouses, and normal houses too. Read the book of Acts. See how Christ's men went from cowering to marching through the world as Christ 
fearless gospel soldiers turning the world upside down. Don't ask what would Jesus do. Do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus trained and commanded the apostles to do. Do what the apostles did. Pastors, those that will listen online one day, get out of your pulpits. Train your churches to go there for. By boldly going there for to preach the word of God in the highways and byways where men, women, boys, and girls are perishing in abominable sin and satanic deception. Make the Great Commission great again. If you believe Christ is coming soon, do you want to be found on the gospel battlefield or hiding in your church bunker, waiting for the rapture, singing about how you love Jesus while you refuse to obey Him? If you believe Christ isn't coming for centuries or a few millennia, do you want to be found hiding in your church bunker, smoking cigars, drinking whiskey, and talking theology when death comes for you, and you personally go to Jesus through your own rapture of sorts to give an account for the one precious life He gave you to be spent for His glory and the redemption of sinners? If you love Christ, you will obey Him and go therefore. If you love perishing sinners, you will obey Christ and go therefore. If you love your nation, the constitution upon which it stands, you won't just whine and complain about its moral decline, its satanic debauchery, its imminent destruction. You'll obey Christ and go therefore. Genuine love of Christ and love of neighbor conquers self-loving, self-preserving, self-serving, hard-hearted, evangelistic apathy and gospel silence. For love of Christ and love of sinners, obey Christ and go therefore. And may all the excuses that would keep us from it burn. Under the fire of God's Word. Mark 8.34 When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he, Jesus, said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Say you want to be a Christian? A follower of Jesus? He has defined what it means to be a Christian. The Lord Jesus Christ has defined what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I didn't define it. You don't define it. No preacher defines it. Jesus defines it. Here's the definition of what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Oh, we'll cut short to the second point. First, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Second, we are not ashamed of the power of God to salvation. Romans 1, 16a. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. B, for it, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Romans 16, or Romans chapter 1, verse 16b. 
For it is, what is the it there? The gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation. For it, the gospel, is the dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite, or dynamic, or dynamo. It is the power of God to salvation. We are not ashamed of the power of God to salvation. We actually believe God. That the gospel is powerful. We actually believe God. That the gospel saves sinners. We actually believe God that it's not Mrs. Brown's cookies that save sinners. It's no one's pie that saves sinners. It's no one's nice smile or nice tone that saves sinners. We believe God that the gospel of God is powerful to save. We believe God that the word of God is able to make sinners wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We believe God that preachers should be sent with beautiful gospel shod feet. For how would they hear without a preacher? And the preaching of that word is mighty to save. As faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So we are not ashamed of the power of God to salvation. We are not ashamed of the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation. In fact, it is our confidence. It is our certitude. It is our strength. We know this gospel saves. We know nothing else does. Nothing else will save them. Niceness doesn't save them. Cookies don't save them. Shenanigans do not save them. Carnivals in the church parking lot do not save them. Now, if you want to have a carnival, invite everybody and preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, fine. But that's pretty expensive. It takes a lot of extra time and work. Your time's probably better spent to study up, pray up, and go find the sinners where they're already at a carnival that the world paid for. Right. And preach the gospel there. They're already gathering for various things. Go to where they're gathered and preach the gospel. That's what you see all through the scriptures. So why take the Lord's resources and waste them on a carnival in the parking lot? Print more Bibles. Print more tracts. Send more actual missionaries. And most missionaries today aren't missionaries. They're not. What is a missionary? Someone who goes and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most missionaries aren't doing that. They're just living their life in a foreign land and hoping some Jesus rubs off on other people around them. They're paid vacationaries, perpetually on vacation, hanging out at you know, foreign coffee shops in Jesus' name. They're not a missionary. Now, mind you, there are missionaries that support missions in various ways. I get that. I'm not, I'm not denying that reality. Um, if, if they're in a support role on a mission field, I, they're still in the missionary realm, not taking anything from that. But nevertheless, there should be no one who's so support role that they're still not a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can be a mechanic for airplanes that fly into the bush and also proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ at that regional place you're at working on those airplanes. And there's no reason not to, and there's every reason to. And not just reason, there's command. We've got to turn the whole so-called missionary world upside down, the whole evangelistic world upside down as far as what's in most churches, what they call evangelism. There's no actual gospel being proclaimed. They're, they're cleaning up schoolyards in Jesus' name, but not mentioning Jesus' name because that would be offensive. They're handing out sandwiches in Jesus' name, but not mentioning Jesus' name because that would be offensive. In, in Portland area, at least, they call that pre-evangelism or just outright evangelism. 
But wait, there's no good news. <laughs> there's no evangel. So we're not ashamed of the power of God. We believe that gospel is the power of God. So we're not ashamed of it. We're excited to share it. We believe it's the dunamis, the power of God. He is omnipotent. And he and his omnipotent power has endued the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the tip of the spear of that message, with power to save. And all those that he's calling to himself will be saved. Everyone whom Jesus pronounced to tell us die over on that cross will be saved. But God has a means, and the means is this. How will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. How have we forgotten this? And I know I'm today here throwing meat to gospel pit bulls. <laughs> you haven't forgotten it. But I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to strengthen you. I'm, I'm here to make you all the zealous and all the more clear. You live in the Bible Belt. Your friends and neighbors who have willfully suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, this truth, the tip of the spear, they've broken it off, they buried it somewhere under the pulpit. You need to speak to them with love. Your fellow pastors here in the Bible Belt who have done that, you need to speak truth with love. Hey, pastor, you need to come with me. Oh, no, I got this. No, you don't. You need to put that down. Put down your golf clubs. Shame on you. There are sinners perishing. Oh, but, you know, there's, there's a, you know, barbecue. Great. How much barbecue do you need? I love barbecue. I do. I'm from Portland. I love barbecue. I'll be down here more for barbecue. <laughs> but I wouldn't dare come down here for barbecue unless I was preaching Jesus. It'd be to my great shame. Taking pictures of barbecue and putting that out. And not putting out pictures of the gospel going forth, oh, that'd be a great shame. And my church would be ashamed of me if, I, if I'm traveling in Jesus' name and I'm sending out pictures of barbecue. Look, here I was down visiting Pastor Brady. Look at the barbecue we ate. No, look at the perishing sinners receiving the word of the living God. What do most of these missionaries do when they come to give their reports these days? Look at the culture, look at the food. Now, look at the people gathered on hearing the word of God. Look here, at that time, tragically, I ended up at the hospital because I, I was preaching the word of God. And, and those Hindu folks were, were offended that their idols were being exposed and, and they, they beat me. And you're not hearing a lot of that. Because we're teaching English, not teaching the gospel. If you want to teach English and teach the gospel, Great. If you're just there teaching English, you're not a missionary. Look to the Bible to see what defines missions. They go everywhere preaching the gospel. The gospel that we are not ashamed of. We are not ashamed of the power of God to salvation. If any man will not repent of sin and place his faith in Jesus Christ as his resurrected Lord, Master, Savior, God, and King, through the power of the gospel preached faithfully by inglorious men and women such as us, he would not do so even if the resurrected Jesus stood before him in all his divine glory. Do you understand that? When Jesus returns with his glory unveiled and manifest, with power and wonder, with the sword of his mouth slaying his enemies, all the world cries out that the mountains would follow them to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. Instead of repenting and bowing before him and confessing his Lord, 
They harden their hearts yet further. The world does not lack evidence. <laughs> they lack repentance. They lack regeneration. And by the grace of God, He has granted and designed that He would work through us. And His sovereign outworking of the salvation of sinners, as He is regenerating, it's coming hand in hand with them hearing the Word of God. As He is granting repentance, it's coming hand in hand with them hearing the call to repentance, with the law of God exposing their sin that they might be led as a tutor unto Christ to be justified by faith. And so it goes hand in hand. And we can never diminish the power of God to salvation, the preaching, the, the proclamation of the gospel is. Let us move to our third point. Final point. We are not ashamed of the righteousness of God received by faith alone. So we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not ashamed of the power of God and salvation, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're not ashamed of the righteousness of God received by faith alone. In fact, it is our boast. This is your boast. Every false religion on the planet is works righteousness. It's all what man does to make peace with the gods, the God, lowercase g, or themselves. Christianity alone is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, and His righteousness alone, imputed to us. And so we're not ashamed of the righteousness of God received by faith alone. Romans 1, 16 and 17. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For in it, verse 17... In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In it, in the gospel, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, this is an important point. Don't check out on me. We are not ashamed of the righteousness of God received by faith alone. As we preach the gospel, we must delineate for folks the difference between the true gospel and the myriad false gospels, the many a multitude of false gospels that are out there. We must be willing to expose Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Church of Christ, as systems of works righteousness. Look, if you're trusting in sacrament, you're trusting your works, not the finished work of Christ. You're trusting the works of your sinful hands, not the righteous works of those righteous pierced hands of the Lord Jesus on that cross. If you're trusting in baptism, Church of Christ, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Catholics, and Eastern Orthodox, and Russian Orthodox, to cleanse you from your original sin, regenerate your soul, and make you a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, and that's what they teach, then you, you have a false gospel. That is not the good news. The, the good news is not when a priest sprinkles you with water, your soul is regenerated and you've come from death to life and now you remember the church. There's just some details we worked out. That is not the good news of the gospel. That's another gospel, which is no gospel at all. That's the anathema. So we're not ashamed of the gospel, which is all about the righteousness of Christ, a foreign righteousness, an alien righteousness, imputed to us by grace alone through faith alone. We're not ashamed of that. We boast it. We boast it. 
and we expose the false gospels of all these works righteousness systems, many of which come in Jesus' name, we expose them for what they are, out of love for Christ and His gospel and perishing sinners. We don't make peace with Rome. We don't make peace with Eastern Orthodoxy. We don't make peace with Mormonism. We don't make peace with Jehovah's Witnesses. Why? Because we love God and we love them. And they have a false gospel. And so when Roman Catholics want to pray with us, we say, no, I'm sorry, we can't. We'd really like to. Here, let me me talk to you about the Lord Jesus. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Well, I know you believe in a Jesus, but not the Jesus. I don't mean to be offensive, but let me explain. You believe in a Jesus that's a a wafer, a piece of bread, a Jesus that's contained in in a cup of wine, and you eat your Jesus for justification, and you drink your Jesus for justification, and you actually bow before and worship your Jesus in the form of that bread that's up there in a box. Every time you come in, you genuflect, you bow, and the Bible says you shall have no idols before me, no graven images, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, and all who do hate me. That is hatred of the one true God. Do you know where Jesus is, my dear Catholic friend? Do you know where he is? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Because when he came, suffered, and died, just before he bowed his head, he said, It is finished. And you know what your cracker says? Do you know what your cup says? Do you know what your sacraments say? Do you know what your pope and your priests say? No, it's not. Your works are still finishing it. The church's works are still finishing it. The priest's works are still finishing it. You eating his flesh and drinking his blood, that's still finishing it every day. And it's literally him, transubstantiated out of heaven. That's Jesus being worshipped and eaten for justification. It's a false Jesus. It's idolatry. It's a false gospel. And we must be willing to say that or we're hating our Catholic neighbors. We're not loving them. If we pray with them as if they're Christians, we're hating them. We're not loving them. Well, I'd really like to pray with you. I can't though. Because you're not a Christian. But let me tell you, I'd really like you to be. Let me tell you how. It's not, I can't because you're not a Christian. No, it's, I can't because you're not a Christian. Let me explain that. I'd really like you to be. I'd really love to pray with you. Let me tell you how that could happen. <laughs> and I've had that conversation hundreds of times. Hundreds. Primarily because of our abortion ministry. And the Roman Catholics that are always there and they always want to pray with us. And that's a great open door for the gospel. And mind you, I have preached the gospel to thousands upon thousands, even hundreds of thousands of Catholics. Remember when the Pope came to Philly? Well, praise God, I had the privilege of being there. And there were hundreds of thousands of Roman Catholics, body to body, pressed into Philadelphia on those streets. It was magnificent. And we had the, the largest amplifiers you could get. We held them up high for three days, preaching the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And they wanted to kill us. But it was glorious. And Philadelphia has this wonderful police force that protected us the entire time. It didn't just protect us. This is the amazing thing of America, the United States of America. They so honor the First Amendment. They protect your First Amendment. If you were there first preaching, proclaiming your message, whatever it might be, they protect it. and They don't let anyone shut it down or even compete with it. I mean, it's amazing. And literally, hundreds of thousands of Catholics heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I wasn't preaching, I was tracking. If I wasn't preaching and tracking, I was conversing. I made it my mission to go after the priests themselves, to bring them the gospel, to go after the bishops in their brightly colored robes, to bring them the gospel. And I would walk blocks with them, talking to them about Jesus Christ and his gospel. This one priest stopped. He stopped. He turned and he slapped me. And I said, sir, you serve your master well. 
He's the father of lies and he's a murderer. Oh, that you would repent. You're damning your own soul and a multitude of those who are following you with your false Christ and your false gospel. But you have just put your heart and your master on display here before all. Now, there are many others, to their credit, who are kind and gentlemanly um, and yet bankrupt. Bankrupt. They do not know Jesus. They do not know his gospel. They're perishing in their sins and leading a multitude of others. 1.34 billion to hell. We cannot have peace with that. We cannot have peace with that. Amen. We are not ashamed of the righteousness of God received by faith alone. It's our boast. And we're offended by those who come boasting their wafer, boasting their baptism, boasting their church, boasting their priest, boasting their pope, boasting their tract distribution as Watchtower Society members, boasting their, their baptisms for the dead in the Mormon temple. We're offended by that because that's all in the place of and a blasphemy of the blood of Christ and His righteousness. So we are not ashamed of the righteousness of God received by faith alone. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God. Wait a minute. Weren't we talking about Jesus? Yeah. God. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Saints, we are dogmatically faith alone. Salvation is by faith alone. Oh, there are lots of folks who want to talk about faith. Yes, faith in Jesus, salvation by faith. No, it's faith alone. Faith alone. In His righteousness alone. And if they come with anything, right? Even that little bit of bread. Even that little bit of baby baptism. Then they nullify grace. They're estranged from Christ. They're damned. And we must have gospel clarity sufficiently to make us dogmatic so that we are not ashamed of the righteousness of God received by faith alone and so that we are willing to go to war against righteousness received somewhere else. Because that perceived righteousness is a false righteousness. It's a damning righteousness. And we have no peace with that because we love God and we love sinners. So what kind of biblical terms, what kind of terms should we think in when we think of anyone who would bring a a different gospel, a different righteousness that might save? What kind of terms should we think in? How about Philippians 3, 2 through 9? Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. What's that talking about? Beware of the mutilation. Those who believe ultimately in righteousness through circumcision. So it doesn't matter what the sacrament is, what the work is. Beware of dogs, spiritually speaking dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Don't call priests father. If they're older than me, I'll gladly call them sir. I'll give deference to their age. But they're not your father, spiritual or otherwise. Don't call them father. Don't honor their, their clerical status. Don't honor their robes. They are servants of Satan. Love them as human beings that are perishing their sins. But don't give honor where honor isn't due. I was at the abortion clinic a few months ago. This Catholic priest comes up in his robes and uh, he says, I am father so-and-so. You know, what are you doing here? And uh, I, I said, uh, I'm Chuck, uh, pastor of the Portland 116 Bible Church. 
And, uh, and he, he, you know, father so-and-so, he'd given his name, Bill, Buddy, whatever it was. And so I said, so, Bill, I'm, I'm here preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you're here with all these hundreds of Roman Catholics today because they're going to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he corrected me. He said, Father. And I said, well, Bill, <laughs> and I'm not trying to, to be a jerk, but no, you're not placing me under that. No, no, my friend. Uh, no, if there's an authority here in the eyes of God, you know, it's the authority of the word of God and, and the man that's ministering it, not the man that's a blasphemer of it. Don't give honor where honor isn't due. Preach the word. Well, we were here first, he said. <laughs> I said, well, God was here first. You know, it's God's land. It's, it's God's city. And uh, God ordained that you would bring these wonderful, precious, perishing idolaters to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has ordained that uh, I actually forgot my largest amplifier and turned around and had gone back for it, <laughs> which I wouldn't normally do. So I got out my, my half-mile hailer, and I hailed the gospel for a half-mile. These, these Catholics were lining blocks, and they were four and five bodies thick, and it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And here we not, not one not one of the priests could stand in the light of day and defend their heresies with, with a Bible open. The truth prevails, and they don't want their people to hear the truth. They, they want to usher them away. But we cannot make peace there. He wanted us to just kind of get along. And, you know, we're here first. Please let us do our thing. And you do your thing. Actually, you are my thing. You are my thing. Well, what, you're here for the abortion thing, right? I am. But I'm here according to God's order to minister the gospel first. Oh, I want to see babies rescued. I do. But that is always secondary. I mean, way, way secondary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel is the tip of the spear. Let me close with this. Are you discouraged for lack of evident fruit or evident converts in OKC? Dallas, Delaware, Birmingham, Taiwan, or my very own Portland? You wouldn't be the first. Have you considered the weeping prophet of Jeremiah? Have you considered that the Lord Jesus' ministry ended with the whole world united against him, crying, crucify him, crucify him. We have no Lord but Caesar. Have you considered that there are more professing Christians alive today on the planet than the entire population of the planet in 56 AD when the Apostle Paul wrote Romans? (laughs) Think on that a minute. There were only about 250 million people on the planet in 56 AD. There are now roughly... 2.5 billion professing Christians from every tribe, tongue, and nation around the globe. Now a great many of them yet need to be regenerated, yet need to be saved through the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, do not be discouraged. Here's a further encouraging word from our elder brother, Pastor Charles Spurgeon. We'll give him the final word. Sometimes workers for the Lord get cast down. I have taught a class for years, says one, and seen no fruit. I've been preaching at the corner of the street for months, but have never heard of a conversion, says another. I've been visiting the lodging houses, but have never met with a convert. Well, dear brother, do you think that you have preached Jesus Christ and nothing has come of it? If you do, you must be a very unbelieving brother. I do not believe it for a moment. I believe God that it shall be even as he has told me. And he has said, my word 
shall not return unto me void, but it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Perhaps you preach unbelievingly. Now an unbelieving word is not God's word. If you preach confidently and teach trustfully, believing in the power of the Spirit of God, and so exhibiting Jesus Christ to your children and to your hearers, there are sure to be results. The raindrops return not to heaven, and the snowflakes climb not back to the treasure house, but water the earth and make it bring forth a bud, and even so shall God's word be. It must prosper in the thing whereunto he has sent it. Beloved brother, do not give up. Dear sister, do not be discouraged. Go on. Go on. If you do not see results today, you must wait and work on. For the harvest will come. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Be not so cowardly as to say, I will leave the work. You are not to win a battle in a moment or reap a harvest as soon as you sow the seed. Keep on. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We say this to you because we are confident ourselves and would have you to be confident also. Sirs, be of good cheer. God has been true to us and given us success, and we believe that it shall be to you even as he has told us. Nothing has succeeded better than preaching out boldly what I have believed and standing to it in defiance of all opposition and never carrying a snap of the fingers whether it offended or whether it pleased. Charles Spurgeon. A believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ and its power to save sinners. Not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ not ashamed of the power of God and the salvation not ashamed of the righteousness of God to save sinners let's pray Father we thank you for your astounding grace to sinners like us Lord that you would rescue us from the depravity of our souls reveal to us Lord our sin and Grant us lips to cry out, what must I do to be saved? Regenerating us, raising us from the dead, Lord. Making us new creatures in Christ. And giving us breath and and voice to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus, Father. We confess that we are weak and frail and foolish and often cowardly, Lord, in our flesh. We pray you'd fill us with your spirit. That we would be mighty in your strength, Father. That we would be bold in your strength. That we would be courageous in your strength. That we'd be fearless of man. For we've learned to fear God alone. And we have learned to love God above all and to love our neighbors who without this glorious gospel, without this omnipotent gospel, without this good news of the righteousness of Christ available by grace alone, through faith alone, will most certainly perish. Lord, increase our faith, increase our hope, increase our love, and grant us strength to endure until we should see you face to face. We pray it in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen. Well, please stand. Do you close with a song? Well, brother, hey, we've only got 10 minutes for you guys to leave. So, let's just, we'll, okay. close, we'll close now. Please stand and greet one another. <laughs> yeah, no, everybody's not on Chuck. Uh, yeah, hey, brother, stop that recorder. <laughs> <laughs> we ran out of batteries. No, Sean, come up there to sing.